Live. Live. Live from... Welcome to New York. This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a bonus show for you this week. I'm going to be joined in just a minute by the Athletics' Robert Mays, the host of the Athletics Football Podcast. And I'm excited to get into this because we're recording on Friday after opening night in the NFL where the Chiefs blew out the Houston Texans. And boy, that game was not good. I will admit, Texans look overmatched. I was out of there, I'd say probably... Middle of third quarter, I went over to the tennis. I'm going to talk about that at the end of the show. The U.S. Open wrapping up this weekend. Semi-final action for the men. Minus Novak Djokovic, you got defaulted early in the tournament. Women's final is set as a recording between Victoria Azarenka and Naomi Osaka. Serena Williams goes out last night in the semifinals with the women. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'll talk about with Robert Mays in just a minute as well. But I'll get us all started with this week's opening tip. The bonus opening tip where I had my thoughts on last night and some other things in the sports atmosphere that did concern me right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Right, we are back here, opening tip time. As we saw last night in the NFL, the Houston Texans were no match to the Kansas City Chiefs for most of this game. I mean, the final was close. The final ends up going 34-20, to 20, I believe. I'm going to check, check my facts on that. Yeah, 34-20, to 20, Chiefs win. But this game was over very quickly. It was 31-7, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire running all over the place. Can't get in the end zone. You can't fall in the in there like you do in college in the NFL. He'll be fine. The Texans, the, the offseason stuff, I mean, you kind of what you expected. They missed DeAndre Hopkins. The guys they had had trouble getting open against the Chiefs. John Watson made brilliant plays, but their defense, not great. Chiefs exposed them. Mahomes was solid. He threw three touchdowns. Not a overpowering performance, but what you expected. Chiefs win the 1-0. They cover the spread easily. So Nick Friday from the Challengers, 1-0 on the week. But two things did stick out to me about the sports day in general. They did not involve the football game. Number one, the thing that I think has gotten the most headlines, and NBC did not address it on the broadcast, which I don't get, but here we are. The moment of unity, where we've seen protests in sports. We've seen it where the NBA, the Bucks walked off and boycotted their game. The playoffs shut down for a couple of days. All the sports protests. The NFL had practices shut down. And the NFL has always been a tricky situation because we draw the, they draw the attention of the president when players like kneel during the anthem and then they're going, oh, you're disrespecting the flag. You can't do that. So the NFL did a lot of things last night to symbolize like how important this movement for racial equality is. First, obviously, they painted the in the end zone, like the important messages there. They played the black national anthem and the National Anthem. The Texans stayed in the locker room for the National Anthem. They didn't want to cause a distraction. 
after the anthem is played, before the game starts, the players from both teams come to the middle of the field, lock arms, what's supposed to be a moment of unity. The PA announcer in Kansas City asks for a moment of silence. And there are boos. There were some cheers in there, I will admit that. But there were plenty of boos, and that tells you exactly what is wrong with this country. The fact is that this moment of unity, this is not a protest against racial injustice. This is a call for unity, and it is getting booed in this country. This is after the anthem, which is smartly done by the players. That way they can't say, oh, it's against the flag. It's not against the flag. If you were one of those people in Kansas City last night who is booing unity, think about that. The idea that we should be together as a country. If you are booing that, I don't know what to tell you. There are a lot of words for what kind of people do that. I'm not going to make this political and dive into that, but you know exactly who you are if you think like that. And that if you are booing a moment of unity, something is wrong with you here. That's thing number one that was wrong with yesterday. And thing number two... I throw it to Fox Sports and the cartoonish Skip Bayless who hit a new all-time low yesterday. Remember, Skip at one point was a great sports writer and then he sold himself out to go on Fox and be a talking head and come up with all these ridiculous opinions to drive a TV show. Yesterday, he set a new low for himself when he said that Dak Prescott was weak for admitting that he dealt with depression after his brother's suicide. That is not at all weak. This comes from that old He-Man culture of you got to be tough to play football. You can't show emotion when you're playing football. You got to play through everything. This is the same NFL that basically created CTE situations, like encouraging everybody from the 60s and 70s to play through concussions. You see all these guys who had like broken bones, who can barely function as they get older. Now we're going to a point where, in my opinion, it takes a ton of personal strength to come out and admit you're dealing with depression. And... For Skip Bayless, who has never played a sport in his life, to sit on his high horse and claim that it's weak, that's pathetic. I know this is not great because giving Skip attention, and that's all Skip wants. I have never watched that show. I will never tune into that show as long as he is the host of the program. This is something he he should be ashamed of. This is something Fox would be ashamed of, but they won't do anything because he's their cash cow. But mental... Illness is not something to be made fun of on a national stage. Depression is not something to be made fun of on a national stage. Skip should know better. People should know better. And the fact that those two things happened on the same day, that we're booing unity in Kansas City, and we are making fun of an NFL quarterback who has the guts to admit publicly that he has battled depression in the past, tells you a lot about where this country is. And it's not in a great place. With that being said, I want to leave that there. I'm going to go forward now to our interview with Robert Mays of The Athletic right after this moment from last night's game, courtesy of NBC Sports' Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. Mahomes on the move, throws, caught, Hill, touchdown. All right, I am back here today getting ready to preview the rest of the week one action with the host of the Athletics Football Podcast, Robert Mays on the line. Robert, this is Mike Fellows calling from New York. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. It's dreary here, but I'm still kind of riding the high about getting to watch live football last night, so I'm getting over it. 
Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I got to watch the game last night too. Although I will admit, I did check out when the Chiefs went up big in the fourth in the third quarter. It was thirty-one-seven. So, what's your big takeaway from that game last night? I mean, I think that just the Chiefs are gonna have another layer to their offense this year. I mean, I think that's the only thing you can really take away, just because it's a quantity that's new. We got to see it for the first time with what Clyde Edwards Lair is going to bring to them. I also think that Clutch Assembly added a real physicality to their offensive line. And, you know, you just think about how do these teams continue to kind of stay a step ahead? How do, you know, great teams always evolve slightly from season to season? I think the question was going to be what are the Chiefs going to do now that's different? And I think last night kind of provided the answer for us. Yeah, as a Jet fan myself, I will say I'm not shocked that Kalecha Yosemite looked much better getting away from Adam Gase and playing on a Super Bowl team. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when you actually want to be there and football is enjoyable because you're playing for a good team. It's crazy how that happens. Yeah, it is crazy how that happens. And they're one storyline that's going to be tracking here. And what are some other storylines looking forward to tracking over the course of the season? I think that, you know, what teams you know, look good kind of early on. I think it's going to be something that dominates the first month of the year. You know, who has continuity and kind of rides through this very strange off season. And obviously the Chiefs are a team like that. You know, Edward Blair and Osemele are new, but everybody else there is the same. You know, they brought a huge portion of their offense back. I think that's going to allow them to hit the ground running in a way that maybe a team like New Orleans or the, the Cowboys, you know, these teams that we've assumed will have high-powered offenses and are bringing back a good chunk of those offenses are going to be able to just be good from day one and some of these defenses are going to have communication issues. So I think that's going to be one of them. And then I'm curious about kind of the old quarterback group. You know, obviously last night when you have Mahomes and Watson kicking off the season, you have this younger class of quarterbacks that's come along that's really kind of taken hold of the league. But, I mean, if you think about kind of the golden age of quarterbacks that's aging out of the league right now, whether it's Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, I think all of them, even Phillip Rivers, they're all in really interesting spots. Their teams are really set up to be successful this year if those guys play well. So I'm very curious to see what those kind of late 30s, early 40 quarterbacks are going to look like in what's a very important season for pretty much every single one of them. Yeah, I would agree with that. Let's go to some of the week one games. That's sort of the immediate future we have here. And I want to start with the New York teams. Obviously, I'm based in New York. Start with the Jets going up to Buffalo, take on the Bills. The Jets played them close a couple times last year, but there again, the offensive line's rebuilt. Sam Darnold's question on the outside. The Bills are projected the favors in the AFC East. What are you looking forward to in that game? I'm just curious to see what the Bills' offense looks like. You know, does Josh Allen take a step? What did they look like with Stephon Diggs? That was a huge move. I really felt like that was kind of the last kind of finishing piece of what they needed to really push them over the top outside of Josh Allen's own development. So what does he look like with that receiving core? You know, that's a team that outside of Diggs really bought most of their pieces back. You know, their offensive line, they've lost John Feliciano, but they still have a lot of guys there who've been there. So what are they going to look like is a real question for me. And I think the same goes for the Jets offense. You know, this is a team, I think Adam Gase came out yesterday and essentially said, you know, we were terrible last year. You have to throw out every single thing, every single stat about last season. And I'm wondering, is that, should we, you know, is that just what the Jets offense is? Are they going to be better with that line? Who's Sam Donald going to throw the ball to? Is that, is he somebody they can rely on kind of moving forward? But this is a huge year for him, considering that we're probably going to have a new coaching staff there next year, I would assume. <clears throat> and the regime in the building did not draft him. So that to me is a really big question for what the Jets future is going to look like. Is, is Sam Donald the guy and how early can he prove that he is? Yeah, he's got a big test ahead of him this week. The other New York team, the Giants, they get a big test. On Monday night, they play host of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Ben Roethlisberger back. I think people forget that team went 8-8 eight eight without him on the strength of that defense. Like, 
I feel like this is a game the Steelers could have a very easy time winning. I think the Steelers might be a really good team. You know, I, it, Ben Roethlisberger's health is a huge question. He's 38 years old. He's coming off a non-contact elbow injury. But apparently his elbow has been bothering him for a little while, you know, even before that injury happened. And hopefully the surgery will get him back to a place where he feels comfortable. The biggest jump you can make, I've said this a lot over the years, as an NFL team is going from true bottom-of-the-barrel quarterback play to even competent quarterback play. So going from a combination of Doc Hodges and Mason Rudolph to Ben Roethlisberger, and this is a team that finished 31st in offensive DVOA last year, if they can be 12th when you consider what their defense can be, they automatically kind of become a contender in the AFC. There are questions about how good their defense is going to be, how much will carry over. Have they led the league in turnovers created last year? That number isn't typically sticky, but pass rush numbers often are, and they're bringing back their entire front four. They get Stephon, well, uh, Stephon Hargrave leaves, but they get Stephon to his back. So their real nickel pass rush packages are going to look like what they would have wanted them to look like, and they might be even better than they were last year. So I have a really good feeling about that team if Roethlisberger's healthy and can play pretty well. Yeah, I think it's going to be a rough year for the Giants, too, because they still there's so much work to do. Oh, I just don't know. I have so many questions about them because the defensive talent is just not good. I mean, it's still not good. And when you consider the money they've kind of poured into that side of the ball, whether it's James Bradbury or Blake Martinez, I mean, they just have nobody up front. I have zero faith in that pass rush. I don't know what that defense is going to look like. You know, when you look at what the Patriots kind of influenced have been with old Belichick, old assistants, whether you think about Matt Patricia in Detroit or what, who else am I thinking of here? I guess it was last year in Miami with, oh, Brian Flores. So the, the Dolphins defense last year, they ran a ton of man as well without blitz. So the Giants are going to do that. If Patrick Graham was their new defense coordinator, is going to kind of follow that model and say, we're going to play a lot of man, we're not going to blitz a lot. I think they're in trouble because I don't think they have the personnel to make that work. And on the offensive side of the ball, they should be exciting. You know, I think Daniel Jones had some fun moments last year. And I think some of the things we saw from that skill position group when everyone got back healthy, it's like, all right, I can get on board with this. He dressed the tackle in the top five. I think the line might be a little bit better. He's not the leading shoulder. But I just have such little faith in that offensive staff to kind of be on the cutting edge and be creative and everything else. And Jason Garrett hasn't called an offense since before I started covering the NFL. And you have so many teams that are kind of seeking out these exciting options for play callers and really trying to put their quarterbacks in the best spots to succeed. And I'm just not sure the Giants are doing that. Yeah, we'll see what happens with them this year. You brought up a lot of, a lot of Patriot ties in that game. So I'll go to the Patriot-Dolphin game next. This is a big rematch for New England because Miami knocking them out week 17 has really changed the course of the playoffs. Now Tom Brady's gone, Cam Newton's in. Big offseason for Miami. I'm very intrigued by this football game. Absolutely. I mean, I, who knows what the Patriots are going to look like? I mean, I think they have to... That's going to depend a ton on Cam Newton, his health. Now, how much are they willing to run him? What does the passing game structure look like? Are they just going to try to get the ball out of his hands quickly? I mean, there's so many mysteries kind of surrounding that team, especially with no preseason. I feel like they could jump on some people. The defense, I think, is definitely going to take a step back when you consider the turnover margin in the first half of last season, the players they lost. But it should still be a good group. So if Newton can play well and he'll be somebody's Similar to the guy we saw even in 2018, I think they could be interesting. And like you said, the Miami offseason, I mean, the rebuild is over, man. <laughs> it's, it's over. They, they are here. I mean, they have spent their money. They've spent a lot of their draft picks. Obviously, they're going to be very young. I believe they're still one of the youngest teams in the NFL. So it's going to take a while for some of those guys to kind of develop. But, I mean, they're trying to get back on track here. So 
the defense is mostly veterans. I mean, that the additions were all on a free agent market. So the question for that is, now that you have guys like Byron Jones, Kyle Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, all in place, can you run the system that you want to, and can that system be successful? Because they were a disaster on that side of the ball last year. To, I mean, no fault of their own. They've tried to tear it down, but the teardown is done. So they need to show that every move they made, all the money they spent, all the resources they used this spring was actually kind of in pursuit of something. Yeah, that's for sure. And I feel like one game that's early in the day on, on Sunday, kind of slipping under the radar, but is that Packer Vikings show on the NFC North. What do you like in that game? What's intriguing to you there? I want to see what the Packers offense looks like. You know, they spent the offseason really trying to bulk up. And, you know, obviously the moves they made were kind of in line with the idea that they were going to run the ball more. They wanted to be more physical. And I, I think that's the biggest question. You know, for on defense, a lot of static. I mean, they, they haven't changed much. Drop Christian Kirksey in the middle of that team. I think that they need a little bit more athleticism at linebacker, which was their number one priority outside of a pass catcher coming into the year. So can they kind of keep up that pass rush juice that they had with Darius Smith near the end of last season. And if they can have their defense be around a top 10 unit, can the offense be efficient enough if they're going to lean more on the running game for them to kind of stick around? And the Vikings, I'm intrigued to see what Gary Kubek looks like as a play caller. I mean, I, it's been a while since he's done it, but he's so good at it. And I think that they really showed last year that their personnel kind of fit that scheme with Kirk Cousins, with Dak, with uh, Dalvin Cook. I think that Adam Thielen coming back and kind of assuming that number one receiver role, they could be good again. So, I mean, there's a lot. If you're talking to somebody who can find something interesting in pretty much any game you're going to put in front of me. So when it comes to week one, there's a lot of stuff that I'm excited about. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff I'm definitely excited about. Another one I, I want to get to is also a little under the radar. Seattle going to Atlanta week one. I think it's very intriguing because I think everybody likes the Seahawks. But Atlanta is one of the teams I'm sleeping. I think it's a sleeper team. I think they could build that run they had in the second half. I think they could get to the playoffs out of the division. Do you think Atlanta can make a run this year? Absolutely, I do, because I think that their floor on offense is so high. That's the thing with the Falcons, is that they're going to be good enough with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and the other talent on that side of the ball, that if the defense can kind of catch some breaks and catch lightning in a bottle like it did over the second half of last season, they become interesting right away. You know, if, if Matt Ryan's healthy for 16 games and they don't suffer catastrophic injuries to Jones or someone else, what's the floor for them offensively? It's probably like a top 10 or 12 offense. And if that's what you're dealing with, I mean, that's what they were last year, even when they were struggling with offensive line injuries. So if that's the baseline, you don't need much else right to be a team that's kind of in the mix in a kind of muddled NFC wildcard picture. So I don't, they're not an exciting team to me just because it feels like the same old story with them. I feel like we've had this conversation so many times. You just kind of switch out the names. Like the young pass rusher, they need to be better is Tack McKinley now instead of Vic Beasley. The young corner, they need to be better is A.J. Terrell instead of Isaiah Oliver. So it just feels like the same thing and the same kind of dialogue about them. But that doesn't change the fact that they're still relevant. Yeah, they are. And they start clearly the third team at the division. The top two are meeting on Sunday in the Fox game of the week with the Saints hosting the Buccaneers. No fans in New Orleans, but the fast track will still help them. I think this is definitely, I think, the game I'm going to be locked in the most on. I think this is definitely has uh, shootout potential. For sure. I mean, I mean, it's Breeze, Brady in the same division. What does that Bucks offense look like? Uh, I mean, I don't think you have to be even you know a football purist or somebody that loves the sport to be excited about this and the storylines galore and I also think these teams are going to be good you know I picked the Saints to win the Super Bowl I think they're the deepest team in the NFL and I just feel like they'll be able to kind of show that off from the start like we talked about at the beginning and this is a team that outside of a couple moving pieces on the offensive line and then Daniel Sanders coming in there most of these guys know exactly what they're doing on offense they've been there for a while 
there's a reason Sean Payton kind of said, have fun this summer, guys. I'll see you in the fall when the offseason program started. <laughs> so, I mean, I just think that they're going to be one of those teams that come out guns blazing. Yeah, and the Bucks too. I, w- I hope that Mike Evans is able to play in that game. I know he's got a hamstring issue, and he's, it might take right out of the game time. I'd like to see that match be full strength if possible. It'd be great uh, because I'm curious what the offense is going to look like, and I think it's hard to kind of make that determination without Mike Evans on the field because he just adds that vertical element. That, you know, I love Scotty Miller, who went to my high school, but I, I don't, I'm not sure Scotty is going to have the same sort of impact on the offense that Mike Evans would if he's in the game. And I just really am curious what elements of what Brady does well and what elements of what the Bucks want to do in a vacuum kind of blend together and create that system. And I, that's one of the things I'm most looking forward to finding out. Yeah, that's one thing that's also interesting. I've been reading around NFL stories. A lot of talk about how Bruce Arians' system, Bruce loves to take deep shots on the field, and that means Brady will get hit if he's doing that. He's not a guy who likes to get hit at this point in his career. Yeah, he's not. And I think that that's one of the biggest changes with them. I think the biggest difference between him and Winston is going to be the turnover stuff. Because, you know, the Jameis interception jokes are fun, but when you throw 30 interceptions in a season, when you average, I think it's .2 turnovers per possession, which led the league by a lot, and you replace that with a guy who never throws interceptions. I mean, Brady, for all of his ills as a quarterback as he's gotten older and for the drop-offs that he's had at other points, other pieces of his game, his way of taking care of the ball is such a drastic change for this team. He just needs to be somebody that keeps the train on the schedule. Just keep the train on the tracks. Just make sure that we're not shooting ourselves in the foot because the rest of the talent on that offense can kind of keep things going at a high rate. So I'm really curious just to – see what they try to be on offense and whether they say just take care of the ball ride our playmakers or if they're that super aggressive down the field approach that they've been with Arians in the past yeah that's true I got two more games I want to touch on to you before before you uh, head out for the for, after this call so the first one I want to get to the Sunday night game with the Cowboys and the Rams Cowboys obviously new head coach Mike McCarthy the Rams a lot of change again new stadium what's your thoughts on this matchup I'm excited to see what the Cowboys offense looks like. I mean, they're a team I think could absolutely be the number one seed in the NFC. I mean, I think they have the pieces on offense to be the best offense in football outside of Kansas City. And we'll see what they look like. You know, they're going to lose Lyle Collins for a couple games at the beginning of the season. I think that's something not enough people have talked about after how well he played last year. But when you consider how well Dak Prescott played last season, the continuity with Kellen Moore as a play caller and now him really taking control of the offense and not having Jason Garrett in his ear, and just the overall skill position talent they have, I think they could just be a rocket ship. I picked Dak to win MVP. I legitimately think that he could do that this year based on how explosive they're going to be. And I think that we could see that right away just because of how much uncertainty there is on the Cowboy, on the Rams defense. You know, beyond the personnel that's changed over when you consider losing Corey Littleton, you know, just the, the, core, the secondary shakeups they've had over the last year. You have defensive line changes where, you know, Dante Fowler's gone now. And Brandon Staley taking over for Wade Phillips, never been a coordinator before. First offseason, not a lot of time to work with guys. I absolutely think the Cowboys could just put up 40 on Sunday, and I would not be surprised at all. That would be a big statement for them in that game. And the last one I want to touch on is the Monday night late game with the Titans and the Broncos. I feel like the Titans are getting kind of slept on here after they run the playoffs last year. I know Ryan Daniels is probably going to regress a little bit, but... I think that I think they have a good shot to play, play a very good performance in that game against a Denver team that I don't buy the quarterback of just five games. So what do you think about the Titans' chances to do well in Denver this week? I'd be curious to see what the Titans' offense looks like. You know, I, I tend to agree with you. They're not going to be what they were last year, but they were historically efficient last year in some elements of their offense. But their, I think their play-action game from football outsiders, the stat was that 
They averaged 11 point something yards per attempt. They were the first team since the 2013 Broncos to average 11, more than 11 yards per drop back on play action. That's not going to happen again. But even if it's 9.8 yards or 10 yards, you don't need to be historically great. You can merely be very good and still be a dynamic offense. I think that some of the things they did last season, whether it's the depth of target for Ryan Tannehill, the number of yak opportunities they created for A.J. Brown, just overall, I feel like the bones of what they do sets their players up to succeed. So I don't think they'll be you know, the third best passing offense in the league like they were with Ryan Tannehill for 10 games. But I do think they can be in the top 10. And if they are, I think they have enough talent to be competitive in that conference. Yeah, it will be a lot of fun to watch week one. Robert, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, can you tell you how to follow on social media and, and subscribe to the new athletic football podcast, some of the stuff you're talking about on there? Yeah, I'm at Robert Mays on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, I just moved to the Athletic a couple weeks ago. We started the Athletic Football Show. It's three days a week, uh, Sunday nights, Wednesdays, Thursdays. We've got a rotating group of cat of uh, different co-hosts, different guests. So, you know, please check it out. Please subscribe to the Athletic. And uh, I hope everyone enjoys the football season. Yeah, I do enjoy the Athletic content. I did t- speak to Mike Sander earlier this week. A lot of great stuff coming out of the Athletic. Thanks for taking the time again, Robert. I really appreciate it. Of course, absolutely. All right, and there you have it. That was Robert Mays from The Athletic. Check out their the fo- Athletic Football Podcast. I have a listen. A lot of fun stuff there. Definitely worth subscribing to that as well. Up next, I'll go to two-minute drill. I'll give you some thoughts on the U.S. Open coming up here, and that's going to come up right after this. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. We're going to put a little bit of a bow on the U.S. Open here because the big storylines are kind of mostly wrapped up here. This is a tournament that has been fun to watch. If you've been watching, I know the numbers are down, the ratings, because there's a lot of competition. You have the NBA games on, baseball in the stretch run, hockey playoffs. I get the numbers are down, plus this lack of star power with Federer and Nadal not showing up. Djokovic being defaulted, I listed, talked about that earlier in the blog this week when I did the recap of week one. Djokovic going out really killed the men's side in terms of star power intrigue. And I get that it's against the rules. I get it's a dangerous situation. I do find it hard to believe, though, that like if something like that happened with Roger Federer or Serena Williams, that they would have gone the DQ route. This is something I do think it did hurt the tournament. And especially when Novak did them a favor coming out here when Rafael Nadal said no, Stan Wawrinka said no, a lot of big men said no. I know he's he admitted he apologized. He should not have done it. I think a little bit of discretion. You want to dock him again and give the first set to his opponent, Paolo Carina Busta. I think you can do that. I think the mistake here is I think this really killed the men's draw because you got him out after week one. The second week, even though me as a tennis purist, I love it. And I'm keeping an eye on these matches because you have a lot of intriguing talent there, whether it's Sasha Sverev, Dominic Team, Daniil Medvedev. Like, these guys are not big names here. And this is your U.S. Open. And especially when the final for the men is on 4 o'clock on the first Sunday of football season, nobody's going to be tuning into that game, into that match on the U.S. Nobody. Everybody watching the Saints and Buccaneers. Nobody's going to be watching Daniil Medvedev or Dominic Team take on, say, Sasha Zverev in the final. And that's a shame because these guys play great tennis. The name value is not there. 
If you had Novak there in the final, you might have gotten the eyeballs too because Novak is an all-time great. These guys are not well-known enough yet. And unless you get an epic where it's going five sets, I think it's going to hurt this men's draw. The women's draw has been much more intriguing. We had a couple of deep American runs from women like Jennifer Brady and Shelly Rogers, but all eyes will go to Serena Williams, and Serena did not get to the final again. She lost the semifinal last night to Victoria Azarenka. Great match, and for as bad as the football got, some points the tennis was that good. Naomi Osaka and Jennifer Brady on one side of the draw played an epic three-set match. Osaka won the first easily. Brady easily gets the second and then Osaka just pulls away in the third. Serena raced out early in this match, but Victoria Azarenka, to her credit, former two-time Grand Slam champion down in the Australian Open, has lost in the final to Serena before. She did a good job staying composed, fighting back, making these points, and you just wonder the physical toll of this tournament after such a long layoff's taking taken a toll on Serena because Serena, to that point, played three straight three-set matches to get here. She loses the second to Azarenka. The third set, she hurts her ankle early in the mat in the set. She has to get a medical timeout, gets treated for it, but she was never the same after that again. She wasn't, and you don't know like if that was an opportunity that she has blown here. I don't know if she would have beaten Naomi Osaka the way she was playing. I don't think she would have. The match on Saturday between Azarenka and Osaka is going to be a lot of intriguing stuff there. I think you should definitely check it out if you are interested, but the question here, Serena, is I don't know if... We see her again this year because, obviously, she, as we talked about on the Tennis Preview Podcast with Ben Rothenberg and Christopher Clary, that she's an immunocompromised individual. She has a very serious issue here that could get worse if she gets the coronavirus. So you don't know if we're going to see her go to, to Roland Garros in a couple of weeks because they're playing to let thousands and thousands of fans in the, in the stands, despite the fact that the cases are going up in France. Here was a perfect set for Serena, where you have the bubble, you have no fans, you have a very limited uh, crowd there in terms of, like, personnel or with the people. I think that was a safe environment for her to compete. I don't know if it's worth it for her to go to France right now or go overseas, when considering the situation in the world. You might have seen the last of Serena in 2020. I think she still has a shot here at a slam to get that 24th and and tie Margaret Court, but... I think it's going to have to be very smart when she tries to get it because I don't know how much she can handle the rigors of playing week by week on the tour. Age does win out in time. I do think that she does have a run in her, but it will have to be very careful. I would be shocked if it's on clay. She's not done well on clay in recent years. Where will the next year I could see it? Australia, depending on what's going on there with the caseloads and the virus. They're talking about letting some fans in there. It depends on what the situation is on Serena, so I could see her potentially skipping that one too and priming herself for a run next summer. But she did give us a thrill. She gave us a lot of fun matches. Hopefully, we get to see her play it out again. This sport does have a lot of stars in it, but she is the biggest one, and not having her around will not be great. With that, I do want to wrap up the bonus show this week. I want to thank Robert Mays from The Athletic for taking the time to call in and discuss the NFL Week 1 slate. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including, like I mentioned, the U.S. Open Week 1 takeaways that I wrote about earlier this week, check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. 
Simply search for Just Send the Suffering there. You can find all our episodes on there as well, including this week's ep- earlier episode. I spoke to Mike Sandow of The Athletic, did a big NFL preview. We also did NFL Week 1 picks. You can check that out there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well. It'll help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. Give me a follow. Keep the conversation going off the air. Might have another bonus show coming this weekend. We'll see. But next next one for sure, week one recap with Joe D'Aloisio, NFL picks, and more. Until then, stay safe, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.